Good. It's going to be a great day in the Lord, isn't it? Amen. I'm kind of a strange character. You have to watch me. I have ADD and ADHD and HBO. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I have AT&T and I have... I have um, I have uh, that protection when you're home, even when you're not. What do they call that? ADT? Yeah, I have ADT. But I'm schizophrenic, so I'm home even when I'm not. It works out real well. Um, and she scares me. And the reason she scares me is she's having a pillow fight, a Pixar pillow fight. And... I gave my testimony a little bit in Sunday school, and so I'm kind of afraid of things. Pixar, Pixar pillow fight, I'm not lying to you. What I, what I felt in my spirit and what I saw in my head was me lashing at her with a pillow and her coming at me with a Pixar lamp. <laughs> I don't know why. She scares me. He told me, he said, we're doing chemistry. So I said, I'm going to do some chemistry too, because I like to do chemistry. Um, Somebody told me that these chemicals are not supposed to mix. Um, Is that what you said? I think Andy said that it's not supposed to mix. Okay, so this is like me when I was born. Huh? Huh? This was me when I was born. I, you know, I was perfect when I come out of my mother's womb, but somewhere in the world, Satan got a hold of me. I, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but when I turned a teenager, I found out Satan got a hold of me. And, uh, man, my life is full of sin. I mean, it's so full of sin. Uh, when you grow up in the house of a drug lord, you don't realize that until you get much older. But uh, the sexual stuff and the drugs, and the cussing, and the pornography, and the, all the garbage that came with that lifestyle uh, just about killed me. And so I became not just a person that God created to be perfect and wonderful and loving and caring and compassionate and in His image, but I came this contaminated, nasty, filthy trashy human being, and I didn't like me. Um, and I went to the Urine Park. We have Irwin Park in uh, in the little town where I grew up in Edinburgh, Indiana, and at Irwin Park we have a train troll- trellis that goes over the Blue River Bridge. And um, I went to the train trellis numerous times. And I would climb up on the top of the trellis and I would look down over into the Blue River and I would pray that God would just let me throw myself over. I hated my life. I hated who I was. I hated where I came from. And I didn't want to live. And numerous times God would whisper in my ear, please don't do this. I have so many greater things ready for you in life. He said, but we're going we're gonna to have to do some amazing things in your life, Archie, because you've got all of this contamination, and it's going to take some time to clean this out. 
but I promise you that the precious blood of Jesus can do it. And the first Christian church or the Calvary Christian church in town came by my house and invited me to church and continued to invite me to church and invited me to go to camp. And I met this girl named Pam Shingleton at camp, and she shared with me how she knew Jesus and how she had a life like mine. And we just kind of hit it off, and then we decided one night to be baptized together, and we gave our hearts and our lives to Jesus And then all of a sudden that contaminated life, that horrible life that I was living, just kind of went into the hands of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has an amazing way of making you clean again and purifying you again and making you holy again. And thank you, God, that that didn't explode when I did that. (laughs) Um, and, And he has an amazing way of cleaning up your life. And then after he cleans up your life, he begins to ask you uh, not only to surrender that, y'all don't drink this stuff, whatever you do, uh, not, not only to, to change you, but to call you into the ministry and to give you his heart and say that he's going to let you preach for him. And I don't know how Fat Rock feels about this, but I don't preach because I have to. I preach because I love to. And I preach because I love Jesus. And I preach because I love the ministry. And I preach because I love people. And I preach because I know that that's the only hope that we have to finding that pureness. In the book of Matthew this morning, in the sixth chapter, Jesus has been with his disciples, and they have recognized his life with God. They have loved his life with God. They're looking at Jesus, and they're saying, man, I want to be like that. Have you ever noticed the way Jesus does miracles? Have you ever noticed the way Jesus walks? Have you ever noticed the way Jesus is always in the right spirit? Have you ever noticed the way Jesus prays? Have you ever noticed the way Jesus lives his life? I want to be like that. And that's what I think his disciples are after when they come to him and they ask him this question, Lord, will you teach us to to pray? I think what they're asking him is this, Lord, we want to be you. We want to be like you. Isn't that what our goal is in life? I mean, don't you want to be that? Don't you have that desire in your heart to be just like Jesus? He's holy. He's pure. He, he, he doesn't have any remorse. He doesn't have any pain. He doesn't have any sorrow. There's just nothing there that will drag you down. He's always positive, always on top, always influencing, always loving, always caring, always compassionate. Even on people like prostitutes, when he goes up to them and the world is ready to stone them and put them to death, he writes down in the sand and and then he stands up and dismisses her. He just tells her, go and sin no more. Live your life holy. Be free again. And and he just wants to set people free. And I honestly think that's why he's turned, turned us preachers loose, so that we can get out here in the world and set people free. And his disciples want a part of that compassion. They want to be a part of that ministry. And so they go and say, okay, Jesus, we have this connection problem. We don't know how to pray. And here's what Jesus says. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver, deliver us for evil. And then we always, we always cap it off with a, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Right? Isn't that how we pray? I, I want to I submit to you a different thought this morning. I want to give you a different idea and maybe, maybe help you think a little bit about something. Because I'm, I'm wondering sometimes if it's really what they're trying to do here or what Jesus is trying to do is so much teach them how to pray. What I think Jesus is doing here is I want him, uh, I think he's, he's saying, I want you as my disciples to figure out who God is. Because if you as my disciples can figure out to God is, you won't have any problem praying. And so this is what he says to them. My father is holy. Amen? My father is the provider. My father is the one who forgives you for sin. My father is the one who guides you. My father is the one who protects you. That's what he says. Our father who art in heaven, holy be your name. You are holy, God. You are an amazing, holy, loving, caring father. And I want to be like that. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You are the provider. Give me my day, my daily bread today. You are the provider. And yes, we say amen because we need God to provide for us every day. You are the forgiver. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You are the guidance. Lead us not into temptation. You are all these things. And I think what, what he's trying to do here is he's trying, if I can just get you to see who God is, if I can just show you the Holy Spirit, if I can just get you to understand His love and His compassion, you won't have any problem praying. Because you'll want to. You'll need to. You'll love to. And you'll want to make that a part of every aspect of your life because it is just simple to know who God is and to talk to Him. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He's broken the bread. This is the hardest thing for me, to see Jesus break the bread. Unleavened bread there is before him. And he holds it up and before them and he prays for it. And he says, this is my body, broken for you. Broken. This is my body. Not this represents my body. Not this looks like my body. Not this is going to whatever. This is my body. And I'm breaking it for you. And then he takes the cup and, and and he passes the cup. This is the new covenant of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood. He washes his disciples' feet. He gives them the Holy Communion. And then he leaves the upper room. And he goes down into the Garden of Gethsemane. As he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he begins to recognize, and, I, and I'm doing a little bit of role-playing here, so please hang on to me for just a minute. He does a little bit of role-playing, I think. I think he's looking around the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's seeing things that are like olives hanging from the tree branches. You know, the Mount of Olives. The kind of whole picture here is that they use the olive oil in Jerusalem to make all the money so Jerusalem can be a great city and so they're pressing olive oil olives on an olive press and they're squeezing every last bit of olive oil out of those olives 
And Jesus falls down on his face before God in that atmosphere. And the Bible says he's sweating as of drops of blood. My sins on his back, folks, is what's weighed him down. I believe that. Your sins on his back is what's weighed him down. That's the olive press pressing the blood out of his body as he's there in the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays an unthinkable prayer. He has just told his disciples, he's just told his disciples, I want, I want you to pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what I want you to pray. And then he gets in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's almost as if he is remembering what he just taught his disciples because now the Jesus that was the man up in the upper room is now the, uh, the Jesus that was the God that was in the upper room is now Jesus who is the man in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he does not want to die. And he says to his disciples, or he's, I'm sorry, he says to God, he says, Father, if there is any way, take this cup from me. What cup? The cup that we talked about in the upper room. The cup that you're telling me I have to drink. I want you to take this cup away from me because I am a human being and I don't want to die. I have my mother to take care of. I have my brothers that I want to learn to love. I want to have, I want to have a family like all these families. I want to be a human being. You're going to take, please just take this away from me. I want to live. And then somewhere those words that he whispered to his disciples when he was teaching them to pray come to his lips. But not my will. Yours be done. How, how do we as Christians learn what that means? How do we as Christians learn to live like that? Because I'm more like Peter. Peter said, oh, no, I'll, I'll go to death with you, Lord. I'll do whatever you ask me to, Lord. I'll, I'll fight for you, Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll stand and swing my sword at everything and anything. I'll do whatever you ask me to, Lord. Remember? Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death, he said in Luke chapter 22, verse 33. And Jesus said, no, the rooster will crow today three times before you and you, uh, the rooster will crow today and, and you will have denied me three times. See, that's more me. That's me. Isn't that us? Isn't that what we do? Oh no, Lord! I'm willing to li- I'm, I'm willing to die for you. Don't expect me to live for you, but I'll die for you. Isn't it true, though? Huh? Luke chapter twenty-two, verse sixty, sixty-one, is the one that grabs me the most. It tears me in half. Jesus had been carried into the proctorium. He'd been carried into the garden area. He was being tried. The soldiers were pressing around him. They were beating him, spitting on him, mocking him. They were making all kinds of fun of him. And Peter is hiding in the shadows, scared like a little chicken. And they begin to question him, and he denies Jesus three times. And look at Luke chapter 22, verse 60, because it says, Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the cock And then it ends in verse 61 where it says these words, And Jesus, 
turned and looked at Peter. How many times in your life have you thought, man, I hope Jesus doesn't come back right now? If he comes back right now, I am damned to hell for sure. I know I don't need to be doing this. I, don't, I know I don't need to be involved in this. You see, tomorrow, this is a convenient faith that we serve in. Tomorrow I can be forgiven, but today I can sin all I want to. We play that game. But I bet it wasn't a game for Peter anymore when Jesus looked at him. Matter of fact, the Bible says he ran crying. I picture him tearing his clothes. I picture him relent. I I just picture him just dying on the inside. So I want to ask you a question. Do we really understand what that means to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in our lives? Are we really willing to surrender ourselves to that will? Are we really willing to understand what that will is all about? Because to say, okay, God, I will die for you, well, that's easy. You may think that's not easy, but I think that's a whole lot easier than saying, God, I'll live for you. John Ruskin said that if you want God's kingdom to come and you want what God's will to be done, you have to do more than just wish for it and pray for it. You have to work toward it. Are you working toward God's kingdom in this world today? What if that means um, I'm going to have to suffer as a Christian? What if that means I need to share my faith today with somebody? What if that means that I, I need to um, lay everything that I have on the line for the kingdom of God? What if that means that I need to go sell everything that I own and follow him? Am I really willing to say God's kingdom come, God's will be done? Am I really willing to pray this prayer that I want God's will to be done in my life? I I really have have prayed about this message over and over again, and I've really thought about this message over and over again because I I see myself as an average Christian, and that's that's a shame because I've been preaching for over 20 years, and I see myself as an average Christian, and I think to myself, when God asks me, are you really willing to give all, my answers are this, God, I meditate on your word all the time. Isn't that enough? Okay, Archie, well, I'll just call Jesus back and we'll start over. We'll hit the rewind button and when we get to the cross, he'll just say, okay, I'm going to stop right here and meditate. God, I, I, I apply your scriptures to my life. That's got to be enough, right? I mean, I, you know, I, when I read the Bible and it says that I shouldn't lust, well, I... Um, uh, uh, let's go to another scripture, Lord. When I go to the Bible and it says that I shouldn't covet, I... Uh, Lord, it says, do not murder. I haven't killed anybody today. I thought about it. I work at Sunbelt. And places in them hills, bodies can disappear forever. I pray. I'm involved in my church a little bit. We go to church three times, two times a month, once a year. That'd be enough. I help missions. I give, well, the $5 that was in my pocket, I put it in the offering plate today. That'll work. I work for your kingdom, not against it. Does that get me there? No. God said, no, I, I want more. I want more. 
I want your heart. I want your life. I want your family. I want your wife. I want your spirit. I want your stuff. You, you know that car that you treasure in the car in the garage. You haven't surrendered that to me. Yes, I have. Well, good. Go pick the youth group group up in it. Are you crazy? I want it all. I don't want part of your life. I want to be a part of your life. Folks, I'm asking us as Christians to really think about this. What does it mean? He asked his disciples, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? His disciples said, yes, Lord, we'll do it. Oh, yeah, Peter, you will drink this cup. Peter, I got something to tell you. Peter, you're not going to like this. You know the devil? You know, you know who the devil is? You remember the devil? Peter, the devil has asked to sift you. <laughs> Y'all think about that for just a minute. Women who make biscuit, you know what a sifter is. Okay? You know. Now, some of you blue-haired girls, you don't know what a sifter is. Do you know what a sifter is? <laughs> you do. Okay, sifter is not something that... Never mind. Uh, a sifter, you put the flour in, you make all the dirt come out, and the clean flour goes to the bottom, and then you take the grease, and my wife never measures. Need lard. What's that for, sweetheart? Because I paid your life insurance today. All right. Need milk. I should have done that over there. And then she starts this stuff, and out comes beautiful biscuits. But it's got to start sifting. And if God wants something for me to come out beautiful, he's got to sift me. And so the devil looks at Peter. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, Satan wants to sift you through. And Jesus never said, but I'm not going to let him do that. He said, uh, I'll pray for you while you go through that. You see, because there's going to come a time in all of our lives if it hadn't already been there and if you haven't already seen it and if it already hadn't happened, when God's going to find out if you're the real deal or not. And when he goes to find out if you're the real deal, you're going to have to withstand something. You're going to have to deal with something. And he's going to find out if you're the real deal. He's going to sift you through. And when he comes to tell you that he's fixing to sift you through, when he comes to tell you that he's turned the devil loose on you and he's going to let this happen, he's not going to let you out of it. He's going to let you go through it so he can find out if you're really his or not. That's what I think my life was all about. I really do. Because he wants the real thing. So he's asking us a question this morning, and I know I don't have much time left, but I'm going to tell you that God is asking us a question this morning, and that question is this. Can I be the God of your life? Um, what that means, Archie, is that I, just, I don't want to be just a God in your life. 
I want to be the God in your life. And what that means, Archie, is this. If I'm going to be the God in your life, I want to be the God all the time. must be time for me to be quiet because people are leaving. (laughs) I, I, I want to be the God in your life, and I want to be the God all the time. And so that means that, Archie, when you're arguing with your wife, I still want to be God. No, God, you just stay over here in the closet and don't pay attention to me and my wife and our arguments because I don't want you to be a part of that. No, Archie, I want to be a part of all of your life. When you're chatting with your colleagues at the local bookstore and you guys have got all that garbage talk going on, I want to be the God of your life. Why, why can't I be the God then, you know, Archie? When you're hanging out with your friends, when you're dwelling in thought, why can't I be the God then? When you're spending your money, you don't let me be the God all the time when you're spending your money. What about when you're dwelling in thought? What about when you're juggling your priorities? Why aren't I God then too? When are you going to let me be God when you're alone in your bedroom on your computer with your mouse? When are you going to let me be God when you're surfing the internet? Archie, I don't want to be just God part-time. I don't want to be a God of convenience. I want to be God all the time. I want full surrender. I want it all. Folks, I think the church has abandoned what it means to be. I I think the church, I I didn't close that. You didn't see that. You knew what I meant. Okay. Uh, Okay. that's my signal for when I'm done. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Um, okay, I'll be done. I know you guys are ready to get out of here, but listen. Listen, listen, listen. Please listen. Please listen. God wants to be God in your life all the time. He doesn't want to be God in your life part of the time. He doesn't want to be God in your life some of the time. He wants to be God in your life all the time. And if he's going to be God in our life all the time, we've got to learn to what, what it means to fully surrender ourselves, to fully surrender everything about ourselves, to completely commit to him. You see, I, I really think that the church, uh, the church uh, over the broad sense of, of time, has fallen into the funk that Sunday morning worship is enough. That's all I have to do. But I don't believe that that's what this teaches at all. Or 5% or 10% of my money in the offering plate, that's all I have to do. But I don't believe that this is what this teaches at all. See, I really don't think that we can actually claim that we are saved until God gets real to us. I mean real. See, when God gets real to you, things happen in your life and things change in your life. You don't go on being the same person. You don't go on living the same life. You change. Things are different. When God got real to Moses, Moses was in a tent. He had he had come down from the he had come down from the uh, from the mountain. He had the Ten Commandments in his hand. I still don't think God was real yet. 
I think he was there. I think he was almost there, but I don't think he was there completely. Let me tell you what I think happened. I think Moses came down the mountain. He saw that the Israelites had fashioned this idol, and he got angry, and he took the tablets, and he cast them down to the ground and said, I quit. Go back and read it. And he walked out of the camp, and he walked away from Israel. He walked away. And he said, I'm done, God. I'm not doing this no more. I've done gave and gave and gave and gave, and that's the thanks I get. I quit. I'm leaving. And he goes out to be by himself. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Where do you think you're going? Kind of like, you know, when you get your kid and he gets loose in Walmart, you're like, oh, whoa, 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 come back here, buddy. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't need to be in that part of Walmart. <laughs> stay I think that's what he did God said Moses go in your tent because I'm fixing to get real and Moses went into his tent and God walked past that tent and the glory of God enveloped that tent and the Bible says that when people looked on his face after that happened, they couldn't even look on his face. It would blind them. The Bible says that he came and he had to put a veil over his face because God got real. And when God got real, he went back out to Israel where he was supposed to be. Folks, God's got to get real to us or the world's not going to change. When is God going to get real? When is God going to get real? Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Big boy. Who are you, big boy? Oh, I had to wake him up. Abraham. Yes, Lord. Abraham, I want you to take your son. Abraham, I want you to take your son. And I want you to take him to a place I want you to that I will show you. I will show you. So Abraham got the wood. So Abraham got the wood. And the fire. And the fire. He's going to be a preacher. No, you're going to be a preacher. I'm going to be a preacher. Okay, he confessed it, see, up here at the altar. And he took his son and he built an altar and God got real on Abraham. When he said, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to sacrifice your son. On this altar. On this altar. And Abraham. And Abraham. Tied his son up. And laid him on the altar. You don't have to lay down. <laughs> He's a good volunteer. He's doing everything I tell him to. You know, shine my shoe for him. No, never mind. And drew the knife out. And drew the knife out. And went to kill his son. And went to kill his son. And God said, Okay, Abraham, I finally realize that I'm real to you. Thank you for your volunteering. Go have a seat. Thank you. He's a good volunteer.
Go kill your son for me so that I can know I'm real to you. Uh, this is like, this is my only son. You said you're just going to make like many nations of me. And this is like the only one I have. So like if I kill him, then you got to start over. So <laughs> you really don't want me to do this, right? Take him. Uh, incidentally, if you'll look on your Bible map and you take the map of where Jesus died and you put it over the top of the map where Abraham was going to kill his son, it's just about the same place. Same mountain range area. Are you willing to do what I'm going to do? Are you going to let your son die for me? Because I'm going to let my son die for you. Folks, God has got to get real to us. That's when I think he got real with Abraham. God has to get real to you and me. He has to get real to us. I think it's time for me to shut up. Everybody's leaving. So, my prayer is that you'll let God be real to you again, okay? That you'll say, okay, God, here I am. Get real on me and get ready because he will. I promise. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, uh, you're an amazing God, and you've shown us some amazing things through your word, and one of the things that you showed us is that Sometimes we can be so phony and we can pray such phony prayers. But you're going to hold us to those prayers and when we pray for your will to be done, we need to really be ready to surrender everything to you to let your will really be done. Father, your, your will really needs to be done in our life, in every aspect of our life. You need to be real to us and we're the ones that are not allowing that to happen. Remove that block from our heart, Father. Get real on us again. In Jesus' name, amen.